she sounds like an interesting character. She's somebody I'd like to have coffee with. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, she does sound really interesting. And I love that she didn't kind of just sit around and mope and be like, I don't have a husband and I can't go into the ministry, so what on earth am I supposed to do with myself? <laughs> she actually, like, used her gifts and, yeah. and, you know, served the church. Welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Cara Devereaux. And I'm Monet Funga. And in today's episode, we're talking about the hymn, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. We'll take a look at the talented woman behind this hymn. And of course, we'll take a look at the good book for encouragement. But first, if you're listening on YouTube, hit subscribe and ring the bell so that you're notified when we drop a new episode. We're also available anywhere you like to listen to your podcasts. But if you don't want to leave our contacts up to the algorithms of social media, because we know how they can be, you want to head on over to himpartial.com, sign up for our totally free, totally awesome weekly newsletter where we will deliver all our new episodes and all of our exciting news straight to your inbox. That's right. But before we dig into today's topic, we wanted to answer a question from one of you from our mailbag. One of our listeners asked, how should I approach singing at church if I can't really sing? <laughs> um, it does say make a joyful noise to the Lord. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think if you're someone who, who's just kind of shy and not great at singing, then just go for it. It's fine. If you're completely tone deaf and you have the spiritual gift of not hitting any of the notes, <laughs> I'm not really sure. I recommend don't sing at the top of your lungs. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, Monet. I mean, I think we probably both have had experience where there's been someone who's very tone deaf and very loud and very distracting. Mm. Um, there's not a commandment in the Bible that says thou shall not distract, but I think we can all agree that it is maybe problematic if someone is at the top of their lungs, completely taking the focus off of singing to God. Yeah. Um, so I think there is like a bit of wisdom that you have to use there, but I think if you're feeling awkward that you can't really sing quote unquote, um, is just to realize that your songs of praise are not um, a performance. It's not a musical yeah. concert. It's not like people are standing around you taking score of how how pitchy you are. It's not American Idol. Um, it is about your heart of worship that you're bringing to the Lord, that you're um, entering the service or the Bible study or the whatever it is um, with the right heart to hear from the Lord and to worship him in song, in the reading of scripture, in the listening to the sermon yep. through prayer, all of those things are part of your worship. It would be like saying maybe, Oh, I get distracted during prayer time. What should I do? Well, you shouldn't get up and leave during prayer time. You just, you just are constantly bringing your distraction to the Lord and saying, Lord, help focus my mind, help focus my mind yep. and getting into the discipline of praying. I think it would be a similar approach for singing. You're saying, look, Lord, I can't hold a note in a bucket, but I want to sing praises to you because you are worthy. 
and you just keep practicing those things, it's not going to make you not tone deaf, (laughs) but it is about that heart, you know? Um, and yeah, there's practical things too. If you're, if you're like, man, I really am tone deaf and you just sing at the top of your lungs, like that's a bit distracting, but I will say one more note on this. I've, I've been in churches where there have been severely, um, disabled people in the congregation who, um, you know, struggle with their, loudness when they sing maybe ticks maybe Mm -hmm. you know muscle um disadvantages that they have and it's actually such a blessing to hear them sing I mean like I I've broken down multiple times hearing them sing praises to the Lord even though it's off key even though it's maybe louder than it should quote-unquote should be because I know their difficulties and I know that they are there to worship the Lord and it's such a blessing that the Lord has given them a voice um, like he's given all of us a voice to worship him as imperfect as we are I mean I think as congregations it's important not to touch people like to be like um, if you are completely tone deaf just remember that we're commanded to sing mm. and we're not commanded to sing particularly tunefully. It's just commandment to sing. Yeah. Um, I guess one practical tip would be, I was taught this in choir that you should be able to sing at a level where you can hear yourself, but you can also hear the other people around you. And if you're doing that, you're singing at about the right mm-hmm. loudness, because I think some people sometimes are like, oh, I can't do the notes. So I'll make up with it make up for it with volume <laughs> not always helpful but yeah it's what um we we did an episode a few weeks ago maybe a month or two ago at this point um with uh, with Ali McLachlan at the Grace Baptist Partnership conference yes. and he actually spoke about this he said people come in and they think it's like you know they're in like a like a tunnel with just the Lord. They're just like, okay, here's my tunnel. Here's my tube. And even though I'm in a congregation with other people, it's just about like my direct tube connection with the Lord. And that's not actually true. Like you're worshiping the Lord as a congregation. That's why you come together and that why you don't just do it from home. (laughs) I'm going to ruffle feathers there. Um, That's why you come together and you worship corporately and, part of that worship is singing. Part of that worship is prayer. Part of that worship is discipleship and, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're bringing your joyful noise to the Lord in the congregation, right? It's not to stand out. It's not to be like, here, give this guy a mic (laughs) or this girl a mic. They can't, they can't hold a tune, but let's amplify it. It's just to say, you're bringing your song, your sung worship to the Lord, your praise in the context of the local church, everyone yeah. around you is singing. That is um, a beautiful thing, I think, to be a part of and 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 to bring to the Lord as yeah. as a as a offering. And to be honest, I actually find it encouraging in a weird way <laughs> because the thing is that's something you struggle with, mm. but you're still obeying the command to mm. sing, mm-hmm. and in a slightly different area of worship I've known people who really really struggle to articulate themselves Mm. verbally um, and to hear them pray even very short prayers that Mm. in itself is very encouraging Mm -hmm. because 
There are aspects of worship that we all struggle with and some are more visible than others. But the fact that you are still coming and still trying to worship in a Mm -hmm. way that's glorifying to God can actually encourage people around you more than you know. Yeah. So today's hymn, um, Grace Greater Than Our Sin or Grace Greater Than All Our Sin, which is how I know it, um, is a lovely hymn and it has to do with God's amazing grace. (laughs) Um, I have to admit, I don't sing this song as often as I'd like to, but it is a really good hymn. Cara, do you have any experience with this hymn? Um, Yes, we've sung this a number of times at church. I really like it, not just for the words, but for the music as well. Mm. It's got some beautiful harmonies in it. Mm. Um, So it's it's a really good blend of words and music. I like this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the writer of this hymn is American, was American, is American. They've passed away. (laughs) Was Was American. American. (laughs) Um, Her name was Julia Harriet Johnston. She was born in Ohio in 1849. Um, I did not know this song was that old. I thought it was a modern. Really? Yeah, I thought it was a contemporary song because it's not in Christian hymns. So I was like, it must be modern. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I was going to say about that, but we couldn't find it in any of our hymn books that we have here at home, which we don't have an exhaustive amount. Um, but we definitely sung it. So it must have been like on a bit of paper or something. Somebody You may have sung it in, in Edinburgh. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Um, but yes, so she was born in Ohio in 1849. Um, but at a young age, she moved to Illinois um, in, a, in a place called Peoria. Tell me if I'm saying <gasps> that correct. I know where that is. Really? Yes, because... The printing company that my work uses is based in Pure, Illinois. I don't know how to say it. Interesting. Well, I wonder if they're related because that actually comes up later. But um, Julia's father was a Presbyterian minister at First Presbyterian Church of Peoria. Well, she served for where where he served goodness for eight years and Julia sort of followed in his footsteps by becoming a Sunday school teacher um, there at that church for 41 years Um, in addition uh, for 20 years Julia was president of the Presbyterian Mission Society of Peoria which had been founded by her mother Hmm. she was quite an accomplished author she produced primary Sunday school lessons um, for the David C. Cook Publishing Co. of Chicago, Illinois. I don't know if that's... No. If you do with um, no. Okay. Ours is a printer, not a publisher. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting because obviously there's a lot of Christian stuff coming out of that, yeah. that corner of the world. Um, she also had several of her own works published, including School of the Master in 1880, Bright Threads in 1897 and Indian and Spanish Neighbors in 1905 and 50 Missionary Heroes in 1913. Are any of those still available? It'd be interesting to go look them up. I don't know, but... I'm going to hunt them down. I'll let you know. (laughs) She obviously was writing her little little self. Um, I was going to say a word that's totally innocent in America, but is not innocent in Britain. So I just stopped myself. She was writing quite a lot. Um, 
I personally love this as, as, a, as a former Sunday school teacher and a current mom of a little. I love that she dedicated so much of her life to teaching children. Um, I don't think she was ever married. So it serves as an example of how you can serve families in the church without being a wife and a mom. I think sometimes that could be quite a stumbling block for like yeah. young single women, maybe more so than men, but maybe men as well that they struggle feeling like, well, how can I um, support the biblical view of family and marriage if I'm not married and I don't have a family? Uh, well, I think that um, Julia gives us a great example here, just how much she served, how much she labored to yeah. teach to teach littles. Um, but we're talking about her today because she authored our hymn, um, along with many others, she is credit with, credited with writing about 500 hymns, which is pretty cool. And it's no surprise because her mother was a poet. Mm. So writing and teaching kind of ran in the family. She had a pastor dad and a poet mom, and she kind of combined those skills in her own life. She's the girl with all the gifts. She's the girl with all the gifts. Um, so quite quite a full life before she passed away in 1919. Any thoughts on her, Cara? She sounds like an interesting character. She's somebody I'd like to have coffee with. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, she does sound really interesting. And I love that she didn't kind of just sit around and mope and be like, I don't have a husband and I can't go into the ministry. So what on earth am I supposed to do with myself? She actually like used her gifts and, yeah. and you know, served the church. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't see any evidence of her getting married in the, it's not a ton of information on her, but what I saw, it didn't look like mm -hmm. she was married, but if you know differently, let us know in the comments. From what I could tell, she was a single gal and she was really awesome at the same time. Yeah. She sounds like our kind of girl. Yeah. I wish we could have her on, but uh, it's too late. We'll talk to her in eternity. Hey, Julia. <laughs> About that hymn. Awkward. Anyway, so the <laughs> tune, the tune for this song is often referred to as just moody. You might know where I'm going with this. It was written by D.B. Towner. He was the head of the music department at Moody Bible Institute uh. in the early 20th century. He composed over 2,000 songs. I'm curious, though, why this one is called Moody and not the other thousands that he produced. I have no idea why that is. If you know the background, then please let us know because... That's just what this song is called. If you say, yeah, we're playing Moody, it's referring to this song, which is crazy because D.B. Towner was not the only head of the music department for Moody Bible Institute, nor was he the only one that composed songs out of that school. It's just very interesting that this is the one that's called Moody. It's odd as well. Like you'd think maybe his first one will be called Moody after where he worked. Mm. Maybe. But it was just like, no, I've written like a thousand and now I'm like, yeah. Do you know what I can name it after? I can mm. name it after the place where I work. Well, it might be one of those things where, you know how you refer to things shorthand. So, for example, um, in this country, at least, most vacuums are referred to as a Hoover. But Hoover is a brand. Hoover is yeah. like a type or like in the States, we refer to plasters as Band-Aids. But Band-Aid is a brand. It's not oh, actually. I didn't know that. That explains yeah. that. Okay. So it might just be one of those things where it's like, oh, which tune do you want to sing? Oh, sing the Moody one. Mm -hmm. And it just got known as Moody. That's my guess. 
I mean, it would make sense if people were coming out of the Moody Institute. Was mm. it the Moody Institute? Yeah. Bible Institute. Bible yeah. Institute. Mm. And they were like, oh, we sang this song. And they were like, what tune do you sing it to? And he's like, you know, like the Moody one? Mm. As in the one from, from Moody. From our place. Yeah, I don't know. Very curious. Very mm. curious. Um, but this hymn is found in over 100 hymnals. But weirdly, like I was saying, none of the ones that we have in this house Um but I've definitely sang it on a number of occasions. So yeah. maybe, it, is it in the Red Christian Hymns no, book? I, really I don't, don't know think so. where this, I mean, it's popular enough. Maybe, was it sung at maybe the Together for the Gospel? Oh yeah, those? there's a T. Maybe that's it. Because I feel like I'm we've so familiar with it. We've sung it at conferences and we've yeah. sung it on sheets of paper at various churches. Yeah. It's a good one. It should, if you if you're putting together a hymnal, you should put, put this one in, in there. there because it's not in you know, the good ones that we um, that we use all the time. So, without further ado, why don't we go ahead and read the lyrics, Cara? If you could do the honors, sure thing. I'll only read the the refrain once. Um, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. Marvellous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe, all who are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know about that second verse. The second one. Okay. We usually sing one, three, and four and miss out the one about the sea. So this was my comment. I searched several versions of the song and found that most had between three and four verses. But the one like verse two might have been verse three or verse three might have been verse four or four was missing entirely or two is missing entirely. Okay. It's kind of a, so these four that I have are like the most common verses that you will find across the versions. So I think that I just kind of pulled them together to say, this is probably the lyrics that okay. we're looking at again. Can't find it in any of my hymnals. So I can't say this is the whatever version. Um, but I did kind of see these four verses as a common theme. I kind of used hymnary.org to see what the different hymnals had. Mm. And these kind of were the common four verses used throughout. The fourth verse feels like one that I don't sing, that I haven't sung before. Or, But you're saying second verse. So this is just really very interesting. Yeah, it's odd. The it weird is. pick and mix thing going on with this hymn. It is. But I think we could talk about these four verses with some encouragement from the good book. Um, verse one really speaks of, well, first of all, in general, obviously this is about God's grace um, and it's really great. Um, but I really love how it really, how the song, the songwriter really explores our grace in these different areas. Like, what does this grace actually mean? 
like personally why are we singing about it why are we joyful about it Mm -hmm. and it speaks like how it is really so one of the um concepts as a new christian that you have to get your head around and maybe even as an old christian is what is grace and why because it's not mercy mercy is kind of wrapped into it you know yeah but grace is like you really 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 don't deserve this good thing and here it is i still don't understand the why sometimes i'm thinking about it and i'm like lord why did you save me and not my brothers because like yeah, like my little brother's an actor, so he's really good at speaking, public speaking and stuff. And then my older brother's like, yeah, a really great guy. And I'm just like, why did you save me? I'm like the lame one in the middle. <laughs> just like, and you just think about it and you're like, why? Why did you do that? Yeah. Like, I'm really grateful, honestly. Like, um, yeah, I'm so thankful for Grace, but also like, I don't get it. Yeah, and I think this this song really speaks to that. It's like, um, yeah, we got this grace, even though, um, you know, we we have grace that exceeds our guilt and our sin. Mm-hmm. Um, we have sin and despair, and and they those things threaten the soul with infinite loss. But grace is greater. And then it's like, well, dark is the stain that we cannot hide. This is our this is our sin. It's so dark. We can't hide it. We can't wash it out. We can't get a Tide pin. We can't get some aerial washing up. Whatever. We can't get it out. We can't. But then, oh look. We could be made whiter than snow today. It's like this yeah. grace. It's so like just wrapping your head around it is so hard. But I think it's a you're right. It's a first early Christian thing that you struggle with. And then it's a, like a forever thing that you struggle with. The more you see God's goodness and love towards us, you're like, what? I think Why? as well, like it's that human perspective of there are people that are way better than me. And there are people that in my human perspective would be way more useful to the kingdom, but they're not saved. And then you're like, God, what are you like? Why? Yeah. 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 It's tough. So verse one, um, this one speaks of the blood that was shed for us. And you can find this, um, in first Peter one, 17 to 19, which says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with the fear with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Yeah. I love that too, because in that, in those verses you just read, it's like not with perishable things like silver, silver or gold, but with blood and a lamb. And like you, you juxtapose those things like in our, in our world, you're like, well, silver and gold are going to outlast blood. Like, you know, blood's going to get dry and go whatever. Yeah, I was going to say silver and gold are like, Ooh, we want those things, but blood's like, Yeah, but I mean, like the the durability of silver and gold yeah. versus like the organic matter of, you know, it's such a juxtaposition. But mm-hmm. that's what scripture tells us, that that the precious blood of Christ is imperishable. It will never fade. It will never lose its power. It will never wash away. It'll never, you know, um, decay and or whatever. That's kind of a really this is scripture obviously and julia pulls from that a really beautiful picture yeah um because it 
it messes with your senses. What do you mean, it, like perishable silver and gold? <laughs> what? But it is silver and gold will. They're not. They don't even hold a candle to the steadfast nature of the blood of Christ um, to cover our sins. So I think that's great. Verse two, verse two speaks of the weight of our sin as described in Romans six twenty three, And I'm sure you guys all know this, but it's a pretty heavy weight, Cara. Yep. Uh, so Romans six twenty three says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yep. <laughs> so um, in verse two, it says sin and despair, like the sea waves cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss. Well, what is that infinite loss? Romans 6.23 tells us it is death. <laughs> it is death. That is the wages of our sin is death. But the free gift of God, which is that grace theme again, the free gift of God is eternal life. This reminds me of that Spurgeon quote. You know when it's saying about like sin and despair, like the sea waves threaten my soul. There's a Spurgeon quote that says, I think it's something like I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. Yeah. And I'm always like, oh, I love that. It's so good. Yeah. I wish I was a poet. <laughs> I don't have those skills at all. No. Um. So verse three talks about how our sin has left a stain. We were talking about earlier but they can be removed and made whiter than snow. And we see this line specifically in David's Psalm of confession in Psalm 51. Mm -hmm. Verse seven, which says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Which is a crazy image. So I'm from California. We don't really see snow like in the cities, unless you live up in the mountains, we don't really see snow. Um, but having lived in Scotland for the last almost a decade, um, I've, I've experienced quite a bit of snow mm -hmm. and, um, I live in a kind of gritty urban area of Glasgow. That's, you know, it's not shiny and sparkly, but when that snow covers us, everything looks so it's clean so and fresh. Yes. Yeah. You're like, wow, it is, you know, winter wonderland. That's how you feel. Um, and that, the fact that Julia juxtaposes that image, which is a biblical one, with the dark stain that we cannot hide. Um, and also the fact that she says, look, there's a, there, there flowing is a crimson tide crimson is red which can make us whiter than snow it's like th that imagery from scripture comes up a yeah, lot i've always found that imagery odd because blood stains mm -hmm. but it definitely doesn't stain white <laughs> so no. it's just interesting to me i'm kind of like i've always just found it a bit yeah but odd. that that uh that image that david has purge me with hyssop and i shall be clean isn't the hyssop branched what they used at the Passover. Yeah. So it is literally like purge me with this hyssop branch that's covered in blood. Mm. And then I shall be whiter in snow. It is like, what? That doesn't make any sense. David's off his rocker. But no, that is. You know, one of the crazy things is there's actually a thing called snow blindness. 
Did yeah. you know about this? Like uh, when it's like you've got super bright sunshine and yes. just snow for miles and miles, it yeah. can actually like the brightness of the snow can make you go blind. Yeah. So the fact that we're like whiter than that, that's quite <laughs> something. Radiance. <laughs> we're just glowing. So yeah, it's definitely the same, the same image uh, that we see in scripture, specifically here in, in, in David's Psalm. And um, it's a beautiful thing. It's another one of those confusing, like, wait, purge me with blood and then I'll be white. But we're just talking about my dark stains. And I don't know if you know, like if you ever had a nosebleed, like blood really stains, like it really does not come out of anything. But, you know, to see that, like um, that imagery here is encouraging and it's biblical. Last verse. Verse four, we are told that God's grace will allow us to see his face. Um, which in a moment, Carver's going to read one of my favorite verses in scripture that has to do with this. Um, but we see this in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 8. Um, the Lord says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Um, and that's a wonderful pro- promise because we're not pure in heart because of us. We just read who's making us pure it's the blood of the lamb that that's, that's who's actually making us pure and blessed are we because we will see God. And why is that so cool? Um, well, Cara, if you could read first John three, one to two. So one John three, one to two, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. That's so beautiful. I really like that verse as well. Um, Yeah, and it's such a great hope to look forward to as well. Like, not only are we cleansed, but we have this life and we will be with him. And it was, you know, like we were saying last week about you know, we're going to see him. We're going to be with him. Mm -hmm. He's our prize and our joy. And it's going to be great. It ends in glory. (laughs) And it's going to be so good. Well, thank you so much, Monet. I do find that odd that it's not in some of the hymn books that we know because it's such a great song. And if you haven't sung it before, we do recommend that you add this one into your rotation. It's a really great song. Mm -hmm. Wonderful to be reminded of the grace of God. So um, that's all for this week, but stay tuned because next in the next few weeks, we're going to have some really great guests. Um, if you want to know more about that and be the first person to know, then you want to head over to himpartial.com and sign up for our newsletter because that's where it's at. But until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Bye. Bye.